Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the 2022 Baz Luhrmann film, Elvis. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you listen without having seen it, just be aware there may be spoilers. Enjoy. This ain't nothing but a podcast talking about films. That wasn't my best Elvis, really. I had to uh-huh. well, watch a much. shit film because I love to podcast, baby. I started coughing in the How? middle of that one. Because <laughs> we live in England where it rains all the time. Sounded a bit Tom Waitsy, to be honest. <laughs> Tom Waits for no man. Very good. Very good. Is Tom Waits still alive? I believe so. Oh, good for him. Um I'm gonna have to Google this because if he's dead I'm gonna be very sad, but I think he's still I think he's still alive. I'm pretty sure he is. But you know when sometimes you just have to double check. He is seventy two years old and going strong. Great. I didn't think he was as young as that. I thought he might have been older. I don't know why. He just seems like a perennially old guy. He is in the movie Licorice Pizza, which we should apparently talk about at some point. Yes, we should. It was was on the plane when I was flying back from New York in June, and I tried to play it, and the sound wasn't working. I'm sure everyone's desperate to know that. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I want to get around to that at some point. I I don't know if it's on, on streaming. I, I I like when he is in movies. Obviously, he's in Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, the, in which he is very good. He's he's Renfield and he's fantastic. Um, but he's also in some other good stuff. Um, Seven Psychopaths is a very good movie. I don't know if you've you've seen that. I've not seen that. Martin McDonough, the the um, director of In Bruges, um, and um, Three Billboards. Um, oh right, it's the other movie. That he did. In fact, he's got a, a new one out, hasn't he? The Banshees of Inisherin. Oh, that's him. Which is him. Um, but yes, yeah, something pants. about that. I saw the trailer. It looks boring. <laughs> I don't know why everyone's talking about it. It looks really boring. It's apparently really good. It's a black comedy, like all of his stuff. Right. I've actually I've not seen any of those films, so I'll have to reserve judgment. Uh, okay. But In Bruges is about chocolate, right? It's it's entirely about chocolate. Colin Farrell is made of chocolate. <laughs> go to Bruges and have a lovely time eating chocolate. That's that's what it is. That actually sounds it's really the, nice. I would like to see that. Um, what's what's the um, Russell Crowe movie where he goes off to to start a winery? Um, he, he 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 goes get goes and gets a vineyard. Gladiator. Yet <laughs> a beautiful yeah. mind for wine. A beautiful wine. A beautiful um, wine, exactly. I've never yeah, seen that either. Um, this is one of the films I've never seen. Sometimes you end up having a conversation and some talking about films here and with like elsewhere. And sometimes it's like you've seen every film that the person is talking about. And sometimes you've just seen no... It makes you feel like you've seen no films, even though you've done over 250 episodes of a podcast about films. Sometimes I feel like I've never seen a film. You know, you know what I mean? 
<laughs> I have never seen a film. I've just been bluffing my way through this entire podcast. We've never seen a um, film. We've just made it all up. <laughs> we just, we read up. the IMDb page and then we just make it all up. Um, it's a good year. It's called. Oh um, yes, Ridley Scott directs. Russell Crowe is some kind of investment smart man. Um, who a stonks used man. to used to visit his uncle's vineyard. I think it's his uncle. Maybe it's his granddad. Um, uh, when he was a child, and then when the uncle dies, he has to go and look after the property. And of course, he falls in love with with being a vineyard man. Right. And um, with and, a woman who works on the neighbouring vineyard or brings him his milk or something, I assume. Yeah, it's basically a, a fancy version of a Hallmark Christmas movie. Yeah, um, or the sort of <laughs> Russell Crowe proto version of, what was that awful Irish one? Um, <laughs> Leap Year? No, <laughs> Wild Mountain Time. Wild Mount- yeah, it's Wild Remember Mountain that? Time, but with Russell Crowe. I still have Crow, nightmares yeah. about that one occasionally. Which was the one that had Matthew Good in? Matthew Good was Leap Year. No, um, no, Leap Year. Yes, that's Matthew Good. Yes, you're right. Yep. And then it it was Jamie Dornan in Wild Mountain Time. Yeah. Is that? I think that's a shit piece because there's some kind of <laughs> there's intention behind that, isn't there? Whereas Leap Leap Year is just there absolutely is, awful yeah. on every level. One of the worst yeah. films we I've should... ever seen. In which Amy Adams in the film says it is not a load of old poo. Yes, I forgot that it was Amy Adams. Yeah. How did they get so many good people into such a not good film? That's what I want to know. That's the question that we are always asking, isn't it? <laughs> Shall we watch a good year next? Do we? Is there anything you'd particularly like to watch next? I was going to ask you actually. Is it your t- is it your turn to pick next, or is it mine? It's my turn next. Well, I'll, I'll leave it up choose. to you then. That's that's an option. We'll think about it. I'll think about it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, well, because cause a good year is a is a it's a movie that I think we should talk about at some point. And we haven't done a Russell Crowe in a while, have we? We haven't done. A what Russell was the last Russell Crowe film so. we talked about? I can't even remember. Was it Les Mis? That was like episode twenty. <laughs> it might have been Les Mis. Yeah, <laughs> which um, I I love. I love Russell Crowe. I love him such in that a, film. Such a such a chap. Um, did you ever watch um, a really great movie that he was in, um, The True History of the Kelly Gang? From no, ago. I recall you mentioning that oh, around the time it came out. It's so good. Uh, unfortunately, there's not enough romance in it for us to watch it on the podcast, but it's genuinely an incredible film from um, Justin Kurzel, who did the incredible Macbeth with michael fassbender oh yes i've seen that um yeah it's 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 his uh the movie that he did after assassin's creed (laughs) (laughs) well how would you how are you gonna top that yeah uh the um the uh yeah assassin's creed was sandwiched between two incredible movies um but uh but yeah it's uh it's certainly something hey i've seen a film Um, there you go i've seen that film of You've seen that film with Macbeth? I've seen that, and I've seen um, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Those are the only two films that I've seen. Because, um, cause, yeah, the, uh, the, um, uh, the, the Russell Crowe performance in, um, in, in that, in True History of the Kelly Gang, is an all-time brilliant Russell Crowe. Truly, truly fantastic. Um, but anyway... We uh, I, know, I know what shit. it was. Yeah, I know what it was. It, was, it must have been Winter's Tale, surely. 
Winter's Tale. Which is also a shit piece in which he's the, the villain who says, he's got the goddamn horse. I think about that line all the time. <laughs> and speaking of shit pieces with lines that I think I'm going to think about for a very long time. <laughs> or accents um, this- that I'm going to think about for a very long time. This week's movie is um, Elvis. What did you think of Elvis, Paddy? Wow. I I don't know. I think I'm still processing the kind of... We watched it <laughs> We watched it last Friday night, and I think it's Thursday now. I think I'm still processing the kind of sensory overload of it, the, the assault on the mind that, that Baz Luhrmann does. This is kind of peak Luhrmann, isn't it? It's almost like it, it shouldn't be called Elvis. It should be called Baz because it's more about Baz Luhrmann's filmmaking than anything else, isn't it? That is completely right, yeah. Um, this is a very Baz luhrmann movie. Is this the most Baz luhrmann movie? Is it more Baz luhrmann than um, Moulin Rouge? I've never seen it. Ah. And I, I'm, it doesn't really look like my bag, but I, I'm sure I'll get around to it at some point. But you know, so actually, of of his films, obviously, we've seen Romeo plus Juliet, which we liked, and is mm-hmm. has obviously John Leguizamo in his most iconic role. Um, got the Gun Boys. Got the Gun Boys. Yeah, L- little Gun Boys. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we haven't talked about the Great Gatsby, have we? No, we haven't talked about the Great Gatsby. But which, I like that. Um, yeah, it was pretty good. Um, I don't like how it made people go out and have Gatsby parties. Because no. media literacy is dead, <laughs> and people didn't get what they were meant to out of the film. Um, but uh, but yeah, I and you also hate partying, and I I I yeah, I I do hate partying. Partying, I'm the opposite of LMFAMO or whatever they're called. Uh, I thought you were doing that Weezer song. Can't. Oh. I can't stop partying. <laughs> I can't party. stop, yeah, I'm the anti Weezer. <laughs> I won't start. Partying, partying. <laughs> oh man, I hadn't thought about that song in a long time. What a song. Um, He's a featuring the rapper Chamillionaire. <laughs> I found out something amazing. Um, did you know that Weezer and Slipknot were going to do a co-headlining tour? What? Um, I mean, that's perfect for me, <laughs> but I don't know who else <laughs> that's aimed at. <laughs> Reportedly... So this is, I'm not sure how entirely true this is. They were going to be the Sleezer tour in the same way that they did the Fooser tour with Foo Fighters and the Bleezer tour with Blink-182. But apparently there was then going to be, yeah, the Sleezer tour. Um, Works for Slayer as well if you can't get Slipknot. which, Which would work for Slayer too. And they did a few rehearsals and then scrapped it after they decided that the the band sounds weren't quite compatible. <laughs> Who'd have thought to it? To be fair, I mean, I've played gigs where the lineup has been more whiplashy <laughs> than, yeah. than Weezer to Slipknot. To be fair, um, over the years, um, with, with various different promoters. absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think that is probably a bit of a, a, a mix. And the rumor is that one of the reasons that the tour fell apart um, is that. Uh, Rivers wanted um, confirmation from Slipknot that Weezer fans wouldn't get roughed up too much in the pit when Slipknot were playing, and Slipknot refused to give that um, that that guarantee, <laughs> which I think is amazing. I choose to believe that's true. I think that's definitely true. 
100 imagine, fact. Imagine going to see a Weezer Slipknot show. That is your perfect gig, essentially. Yeah. You know, I love the aggression of, of Slipknot, and I love the, the light-hearted pop <laughs> the, and pop the of aggression Weezer. of Weezer. It's, yeah. The aggression of Weezer. They do have the odd aggressive song, but not not many. Sweater song. Fucking yeah. Fury. He's livid. Fury. He wants to destroy a sweater. <laughs> Anyway, um, sorry for that. That's like I don't even know how we got onto talking about that. Was it Weezer we were talking about that got us onto that? Um, it was I can't stop partying because you hate partying. I because I cause I hate partying. Yeah, you'd have been one of those people when Elvis was gyrating. Would have been complaining that he was gyrating too much, which was sort of the first hour of this film. Um, was mostly I'd have been shouting homophobic or racial slurs, which is what all of the white people do in this movie because this was the 1950s in America. Yeah, where that's and you have to did, as Baz Luhrmann is famous for. You have to tell it in a very realistic way, to exactly how it was. <laughs> I've got to say. I fully enjoyed how much of the runtime of this movie was on either Elvis's crotch or his arse. Yeah. I'd say about 10% of the runtime <laughs> overall is gyrating pubic area. There's so many crotch it's shots. It's truly incredible. It's truly incredible. I fully enjoyed that. Um, yeah, this is an incredibly Baz Luhrmann-y movie. This is far more Baz Luhrmann-y than, um, than Great Gatsby. Yeah. Which is a very Lermany film as it is. Which is a very Lermany film, but it was slightly more subdued than this, where there is it is fast cuts constantly, constant zooms in, garish lighting, garish colours. Suddenly there's another montage. Dutch angles all over the place. Montages everywhere. It's <laughs> Dutch ovens. It's Dutch ovens. Dutch accents. And a a Dutch accent, yeah. Um, so, obviously, this movie's called Elvis, but really, this is the story of the relationship between Elvis and Colonel Tom Parker. Yeah, Colonel Sanders Tom uh, Parker, who played by Tom Hanks in perhaps his most iconic role. I mean, it feels like his whole career has been I leading mean, up to this point. I, I, he's hypnotic in this movie, isn't he? Lots of people have been talking about how hypnotic um, Austin... Austin Butler. His surname. Austin Butler is in this movie. Um, but I'd say that the real... Um, the, the real cause of hypnotism in this movie is, is Tom Hanks. In a ridiculous fat suit, an outrageous fat suit for the entirety of the runtime, with weird prosthetics most of the time as well, um, and th- an accent that obviously Tom Parker, the colonel, tried to cover up that he was Dutch because of various shady goings-on in his life. Um, and... Um, he wasn't actually born Tom Parker. He was called Andreas something. And he he emigrated illegally to the States when he was 20 years old. And the rumour is that he'd, he'd murdered someone back in the Netherlands and that was why he, he left. Yes, yeah. Um, that's not addressed in the film. That's just contextual. And, and what he claimed was that his Dutch accent was um, was a Southern American accent. Didn't yeah. he? Which is why you um, end up with the famous line that we'd been saying for weeks before we'd even seen the film. He's white. He's white. But <laughs> over the course of the movie, um, 
The one thing I couldn't get out of my head was that Tom Hanks's accent doesn't sound like a Dutch accent, but instead he just sounds like Werner Herzog. <laughs> and so in my head I was thinking, Werner Herzog is this character. And particularly when it's the narration, it's like, this is like Werner Herzog doing the narration yeah. on one of his documentaries. <laughs> Werner Herzog's Elvis with Blink, basically, <laughs> is what this so, is. Yeah, and, and so it was such a bizarre thing. Um, just to have that stuck in my head thinking Vernon Sock as Colonel Tom Parker and that would have been incredible casting and I'm kind of annoyed that we didn't get Werner Herzog as Colonel Tom Parker but, I mean but- was Mike Myers busy genuinely yeah. I mean one of the reviews of this film described the accent as Kentucky Fried Gold member, and I wish that we had. Um, I wish that we'd come up with that, but that's that's exactly it, isn't it? But that's Mike exactly Myers would have it. nailed that with all his gold member pedigree. He I really did half expect have. Tom Hanks to walk into one scene and go, "Tell tell us he's about to have a schmuck and a pancake." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's true. Or a schmuck and some grits, whatever it yeah, is. That- yeah. They'd be having in the deep south. <laughs> Chigar and some grits. Yeah, exactly. Um, but Tom Hanks in this movie is just inherently funny. And sometimes yeah, every it time works. he was on screen, I was laughing. <laughs> and sometimes it works when it's in the sort of really... Because when you watch a Baz Luhrmann movie, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get that bombastic spectacle. And when it's that high-intensity, light-hearted, bombastic spectacle it kind of worked and you were like laughing along with the movie as it took you through these really evocative scenes. But obviously the story of Elvis is a tragic one. And every time it went into darker subject matter, which has to happen quite a lot because Elvis was manipulated by this man um, and betrayed by this man and betrayed by a lot of other people around him. Um, Whenever that happened and Tom Hanks was on screen, it just completely broke the entire film because he's just inherently funny in this movie. And it sort of, I think the film can't decide whether it wants you to laugh at him, think that he's an evil goblin or just like feel really, really sorry for him. And it, it tries to have it three ways almost, doesn't it? And it just doesn't work at all. It's like he it shows him it's like narrated by him weirdly, and it shows mm. him being old in a casino and then in hospital, like re- with loads of close ups on a needle of drugs going into him, and you're just like, What the hell is this supposed to tell us? Like it makes no sense. And I kind of loved that. Yeah, it's supposed to tell us that um that the the Dutch people are evil. That's that's what it's. <laughs> so in many ways, then it's a sequel us. to Goldmember. It's a yeah, it's a sequel to Goldmember. No, it's you're completely right. It doesn't know. Um, it doesn't know what it wants to do with the character. And you can have a character that you're meant to think is evil and meant to think is pathetic at the same time. And movies can do that successfully. Of but course, no here, no villain should just be evil for the sake of it. I mean, that's that's the cardinal sin of writing, isn't it? Of writing a villain. And and but here it really feels like a kind of clash between those two ideas. Um, that it never really reconciles because in in reality he was an evil man that was also a pathetic man um you know that that's that's who he was in reality but um but yeah it really struggles to actually pull those two things together in a successful way it's very much one or the other all the way through the movie 
Yeah, and it lurches from thing to thing at, at breakneck speed, doesn't it? Yes. You're never quite sure yeah. which is going to come up next or when it's going to cut to him yeah, being old in the casino and narrating and saying, it was my life, feel sorry for me, and then suddenly <laughs> go to him doing something evil. Yeah, and And I think this movie really has a very segmented first half and second half in terms of quality. Um, yeah. Where the first half is a lot better than the second half. And I think that's because of Baz Luhrmann's style and the way that this was naturally going to turn into the kind of story that he wouldn't necessarily be able to pull off. Um, because even though a lot of his films are around that central core tragedy, a lot of the time that tragedy, um, you know, if we're thinking about Romeo and Juliet, the tragedy there is incredibly overwrought and incredibly overpowering. So it kind of fits in with the kind of movie that he tells. And then if we think about The Great Gatsby, the tragedy in that is like the subversion of everything we've seen before, which is very Baz Luhrmann-y. So again, mm. it works far better there. But here, it doesn't have that sudden shift. And instead, it's this steady disintegration. And that kind of subtlety doesn't match his kind of direction. I think it's no. fair to say. That's the thing. It's trying to tell a story in such a subtle way that the story itself gets completely lost behind all the bling and the flashing lights, doesn't it? I mean, all the crotch and gyrations and musical sequences, and then suddenly you're an hour into the film and his wife is leaving him, and it's like, oh, okay, we're there now. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's 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 sort of suddenly springs these things on you and um well, you're two just, hours in and you're going jesus this is long and yeah this movie is like two and a half hours long it's ridiculous um it's far too long for what it what it should be um and i just yeah it it, it really does struggle um as things get more complicated which i think is probably to do with the way that he directs um, more than anything else, um, although it doesn't help that Tom Hanks is here being gold member, <laughs> yeah, for a lot of those scenes as well. Um, because yeah, and when frowning, you, when... zooming in on him frowning while Elvis is doing another Elvis thing. Well, yeah, Elvis is there throwing his penis around, <laughs> and 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 Tom Hanks is there going, "What about my money? <laughs> <laughs> what about my money? Where's here comes Santa Claus?" <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So, you, so you're left with this real. I mean, that the end of this movie is incredibly hokey and really tied up in cliches in a way that I think really undermines the. Because there's parts of this movie. This movie is a shit piece. I think we can very, very much say absolutely. This this film is a proper shit piece. And for anyone who hasn't listened to us talking about films before, that doesn't mean that the movie is a shit movie. It means no. that it's a masterpiece of shit. It's a good. Um, it's a good thing. It's a good overall. thing. It's overall, a, it's, it's a positive. It means yeah. that it had ambition and that it was trying to do something different, and it thought outside the box, and it did things in an unconventional way, and it ended up being, you know, you could reasonably say that it is rubbish, but it's also really enjoyable to watch. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 those movies that shoot for the stars and end up in a dumpster is basically yeah. what a shit piece is and so it's not something that is it's not something that is bad and you never want to watch it but instead it's maybe something which isn't entirely successful but really wanted to do something strange it wanted to get weird with it and i think that's that's the majesty of elvis and sometimes 
it is amazing. But other times, you've got such hokey dialogue as as Colonel Tom Parker saying, I'll tell you what killed him. It was love. It's like, yeah. no, it's not love that killed him. It's him being <laughs> medicated into having a heart attack and forced to perform constantly. That's what yeah. killed him, Tom Parker. All um, of the framing is ridiculous because yeah. it's all that kind of very, very classic cliched biopic framing isn't it mm. saying stuff like that and then have as you say showing all that stuff at the end the kind of the montages of real stuff with all the text about his life and the real life stuff that kind of broke down the wall of the, this beautiful castle that Baz Luhrmann had created and yeah I thought that really really jarred and kind of killed the illusion of the whole film and it was Absolutely. just like why did you didn't have to do that Baz I mean it would still be a shit piece either way but you didn't have to do that yeah, absolutely. I mean, this the movie that this feels most similar to in terms of those biopics is um, the Elton John one, Rocket Man. A Rocket Man, yeah. Did we talk about that? I don't think we have talked. We about didn't do an episode on it. Really. I think we no. both like it, so we should at yes. some point. Yeah, we should do it at some point because we both like it. And that movie—that's a good comparison, it, actually, because that movie, I think does something similar to this and has lots of Mm. big bombastic sequences that really draw you in and is a real spectacle and it doesn't try to tell the entire story of elton john's life it actually sort of focuses on a particular period leading up to him going through rehab and coming out with i'm still standing and that's kind of the end of it it's kind of more about overcoming than it is about trying to tell the story of his life but it does that in a really masterful way and really tells a story well whereas elvis does the same thing, but the story just disappears under all the the bling and the glitz and the glamour and the shoutiness of it. Yeah, they, they, they are actually kind of similar movies because, like you said, they've got that bombastic nature, both of them. I mean, Rocket Man is basically a musical, the way that it's framed. It's not a biopic. I mean, it is a biopic, but it's a musical at the, at the end of the day. It's got all of these incredible musical numbers running through it. It starts with an eight-year-old kid dancing to the bitches back in the street. You know, <laughs> it's, it's so it's good, yeah. Um, and and it so it so they both really force your suspension of disbelief into this basically this fantasy, this magic realism version of the music industry. Both of them then focus on the corruption of managers and how they manipulate these incredibly talented individuals. But where the Elton John one. Obviously, the end point of, of, of Elton John's story is a happy one, that he escaped from that situation. He went on to be his own person. Um, and so the hokey ending there really works because you're like, oh, yeah, well done, Elton. We love you, Elton John. Um, yeah. Whereas here, it's it's naturally got to end in a point of tragedy. And that really clashes where if you then bring this into... And I think you could have done this where it has that tragic ending um, and and it has that powerful haunting element to it. But it shouldn't have ended on turning into real footage of Elvis and then a thing at the end saying Colonel Tom Parker wasted all of his fortune in slot machines and Elvis was great and everyone loves him. Um, that really felt like a massive clash when you just had the loves what killed him and we're the same you and I and all yeah, of that. And I, I can't believe feel sorry actually, for me. I'm a sad old Dutchman. I can't believe they actually used the line "we're the same you and I." Like that's such a cliche. How that's did they like decide? A, yeah, fantasy evil guy cliche. That's a that's a Voldemort level cliche, isn't it? That that's Jeremy Irons in the Dungeons and Dragons movie talking to to, to Thora Birch saying, We're the same, you and I. 
Colonel Tom Parker was the evil lord and Elvis was a Horcrux. (laughs) That's where it's going, isn't it? That's where it's going. Yeah. Um, But but yeah, so so that all it all kind of it all kind of falls apart at the end. But I think that's doing a disservice to the first half of the movie, which is supremely enjoyable. Yeah. For that first half, it was really, really enjoyable to watch. And the, the spectacle of it is fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, I can, you know, this movie got massive standing ovations when it was shown at, um, at film festivals. And you can just imagine the power of watching this, particularly the first half of it, on the big screen with an audience of engaged people alongside you. Yeah, although it um, gives you a taste of things to come, doesn't it? And the scene when um, it's kind of the first time that Elvis is about to play and Colonel, we've had the sort of background of Colonel Tom Parker wanting to hit, sort of seek him out and Elvis and his band are in the alleyway behind the um, behind the theatre dressed like Peaky Blinders for some reason and um, <laughs> Colonel Tom Parker comes down the stairs and he like creeps under the stairs and looks at them like a goblin and it's, just, <laughs> yes, it's like that's this is so weird. weird it was already such a weird character that yeah it's extremely good that it's so creepy but then um, the performance that follows where he sort of they start off light and then he starts gyrating and all the women start screaming it spends like 10 minutes of just shots of women screaming and looking like they're orgasming in the audience which is really good you know it's it, the way yeah, it did that it i thought really was well. really really well done to to show the the way that it would have been received at the time i think that was actually accurate yeah well i think you know you've got it, it, it's not historically accurate, but it's thematically accurate, emotionally accurate to the time where you, you know, this is the emotional power that Elvis Presley had. And I think that. And it's accurate in terms of so nostalgia well as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, this taps into the cultural consciousness of who Elvis was as a singer and as a, as a personality and a, a force within the music industry and within the culture at large in terms of bringing that sexuality into, into mainstream music. And I think that, um, you know, I think that works really well, those early scenes. And it's, it's so silly. When Elvis is going on tour and he's sleeping with women that turn up in his hotel, I don't know if you noticed, but there was like this sexy little guitar lick that played when the woman, when the woman entered, uh, entered his hotel room. Yeah. And it's just amazing. Like all of those silly little moments just really draw you in. And like, I think it's worth mentioning that like the, the real power of this film is the music. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's and it's really well done. Yeah, and that's because Elvis's music is so good, but also the way that they shifted things and changed things around. There's all of these bits of modern musical implementation that bring their way into, you know, um, into bluegrass moments in this movie, into the R&B elements in this movie, into the gospel elements in this movie. Yeah. It really drives it incredibly well. Like, the sound design of this film, the score of this film is truly incredible and that's not just because they chucked a load of Elvis songs in it but instead the way that they emotionally manipulate the audience with modern understandings of music in with the stuff that's from the time frame it's so well done I think it's superb yeah because there are enough sequences of him doing Elvis songs as Elvis that work in isolation as like an Elvis performance but then there's like Elvis songs slowed with reverb, <laughs> which is, you know, as people kind of love on YouTube these days, if they're, you know, if you're too lazy to make lo-fi hip hop like me, you can just take <laughs> someone else's song and slow it down and add reverb to it and you'll get a million views probably. But that, that yeah. that's a side note. But there were moments where it sounded like um, 
they'd kind of done slowed plus reverb on a bunch of Elvis songs for the darker moments, and it worked. And all of the the recordings of the Elvis mm. songs themselves were, you know, they were pumped up and modern, but still retained the the essence of it. And it was all, yeah. I I can't fault the the music and the sound design and the score. Every 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 aspect of that was fantastic. Yeah, and when you hear sort of like this screaming electric guitar, all these hip hop elements that are introduced into these different moments, and it's like, you know, this is really well done. Like, I would love just, I'm not sure how well it would be implemented on a soundtrack, but I'd be really interested to give it a listen and see whether you can get that same emotional attachment when it's not included within the movie itself. Um, it's it's really so impressive. Um there's a bit almost, when he goes to see bb king and you get and they go yeah. see little richard little richard is there <laughs> and then <laughs> they go upstairs and sister rosetta tharp is playing as well mm. that was that was really really cool um and, and all those performances were really good as well and that brings me on to the soy boy beta cuck discussion about this movie um which is this movie is interesting this is one of those rare things around elvis that actually promotes and has clear love for the people that elvis was influenced by the the black musical culture which formed elvis um and you see all of those individuals and you hear their names which is really great because a lot of the time when things are around elvis are talked about all of those people are completely silenced from the conversation yeah and he was working it makes it quite clear he was working with sam phillips who was a guy who was well known for um being one of the only people to record black artists at the time yes yeah um which i think is it's really great that it does that but i think there was another conversation they could have had in this movie that they didn't um which is of course cultural appropriation how much of this was stealing black musical culture and using it in a way that black voices weren't allowed to use it um which i think is a really interesting thing to talk about that this movie kind of just swept under the rug rug and didn't do anything about because those people yeah but it swept it under a very very glitzy rug there is an incredibly glitzy shag rug that it was swept under um but but when you look at what those people had to say about elvis and about his success um there was conflicting views black people as a homogenous group doesn't exist it's individuals and those individuals had different opinions about elvis and his use of black music and reaching that popularity where some of those people like bb king were really proud to be involved in that and to see that message shared so that then it could break that ground. But equally, other individuals within the scene were unhappy that basically they saw that their talent, their success, and in some cases their songs, they felt were being stolen and manipulated and used and they were being sidelined by it. And I think that's a conversation that this movie didn't do. Where No, it didn't. I don't necessarily think that Elvis himself was deliberately stealing music i think and i think this movie did a really good job of showcasing that actually he had this huge love for the culture and for the music and it was very earnest but it didn't talk about how the industry as a whole manipulated these people and and used it and i think that's something that maybe they could have done stronger here yeah or you only need kind of one or two scenes to do that don't you 
But it, it couldn't have done that with the way it's set up because it's not telling a coherent story. It's just giving you a bunch of flashy <laughs> scenes. It's, yeah. It's not, yeah and that, this film isn't trying to tell you a story, I think, is the problem. Yeah, that, and, and that is the big problem. But I think they could have had that in there. They, they could it's have trying had to that go friction. bing, bang, bosh cinema in your face. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Here's, here's some more. They could have taken out half of the scenes of Elvis's bum and they could have had a couple of scenes of people saying, hmm, not sure you should be stealing these people's music. And then Colonel Tom Parker going, but he's white. And, yeah. and <laughs> that's all you needed. <laughs> but may, just making he's audiences... Make, I'm making, make, make, <laughs> I'm Dutch. But making... Oh, shit, I shouldn't have said that. Um, making <laughs> audiences actually think about that and think about how important that is. And also how important that is in a contemporary context as well. Yeah, and 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 I'm I'm slightly disappointed that they didn't do that here. What I did enjoy was seeing country music um, racists being musically cucked over and over and over again in the early parts of this movie, where there's so many, um, you know, um, starch shirt people going, "Oh, we better not do that hip shaking before I get on stage," and then yeah. he does it, and they go, "Oh, our days." <laughs> We go, what's the guy's name? Again. Hank. Um, Hank Skank. He's up there. Played by um, the guy who plays Faramir, who's like the main cuck of Lord of the Rings. So there you <laughs> yeah. go. Um, yeah, the, the main cuck of... Um, the <laughs> <laughs> he is the main cuck of Lord of the Rings, isn't he? Yeah, so I appreciated that. David Wenham, he's got a great actor. Um, yeah, really with a really, really good, good performance really. as this kind of buttoned up country singer who... It's Hank Snow, Parker's. isn't he? Hank Snow, that's the yeah. one. Yeah buttoned up country singer that um, Colonel Tom Parker's managing before Elvis comes along and he gets on the tour with him and is just kind of ruining it every night. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, and and yeah, it's it's really well done. Um, you know, I, I do enjoy seeing racists get annoyed because you know, and, and, and racists being, being um, highlighted as being pathetic individuals as they all are. Um, because you just know that there'll be some racist people in the audience who are like, oh, I don't know about that. And they'll go and get annoyed watching it. So, yes, whenever you have movies about racists, always make them be pathetic little whelp creatures that they truly are. And this movie really does that well. I enjoyed that. Like the yeah. first half of this movie is just white people getting angry at Elvis Presley yeah, and, and, and then him succeeding. And I, I, I could have watched that for the whole two hours. Should it, They should yeah. have had it at a happy ending. Yeah, exactly. Once his career starts to go downhill, it sort of skips over things. It spends ages, for some reason, on um, Billy from Stranger Things being the producer of the the like comeback special on TV, and like there's loads of scenes of them like in the control room talking about the setup yeah. of the special. It's like, yeah. why are we watching this? Who cares? <laughs> so it really, it really reminded me of. Um, did you watch the Bohemian Rhapsody movie? No, I've never seen that. That is a complicated film. Um, that gets all of the nonsense of this movie without any of the bombastic. I'm not a big fan of it. I don't think right. it's very good. Um, but there's one. And that's scene Queen. In that. If you're going to do bombast, that's, that's, there's ample opportunity <laughs> there. Yeah, exactly. That that's the movie that should have been directed by Baz Luhrmann as well. In fact get Baz Luhrmann to to remake a movie about Freddie Mercury 
Um, yeah. And, does, and does that have an evil manager as well? That's got to have I, an evil I manager. I mean, le- legitimately, it does because Queen's manager is the same manager who went on to uh, manage Elton John and manipulated him. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But, but in Bohemian Rhapsody, he's this cheeky scamp, and and there's this ridiculous scene around um, around Live Aid where they're where where Queen's going to play on stage and it spends ages in the control room there where evil manager but in this movie not evil goes and turns the sound up to 11 instead of 10 and so they're louder and everyone's like yeah they're so loud and cool and it's just like oh my god it's like so cringeworthy um but yeah no Baz give Baz Luhrmann the the Freddie Mercury movie Make another one because Bohemian Rhapsody was shit. And let Sasha Baron Cohen do it because he was yeah. attached to it originally, wasn't <laughs> even he? Though, even out. though he's too old for it now, who cares? De-age him, make it look freaky. Yeah, do a Dear Evan Hansen on him, it'll be fine. <laughs> Get the guy who played Evan Hansen to, to be in it as somebody. He can yeah. play the creepy manager. It's it's fine. Um <laughs> But but yeah, it um it really reminded me of that because you're right, it just goes on forever, and you're like, why are you spending all your time here when you could be doing something more more interesting? And it does it gives you a slight build up to the the huge pomp of the TV's comeback special, which is amazing, and the dance the dancers and everything with his name and lights and everything. When that actually comes, it's yeah. incredible to watch. Yeah. But you're like, why did I have to sit through a bunch of guys talking about how to make a TV show? <laughs> Yeah, we did. We didn't need that. What we needed was the performance, and then maybe the reaction to it being like, "This isn't what we asked for." But yeah, the, the, you're right. The performance itself, and actually every single performance in this movie is so well done. And and like I said, it breaks out of the real into this thing that's really magical. And Baz Luhrmann is it is most Baz Luhrmann here, and it works so well in those scenes. Um. But I just wanted it's to. It's just a shame that then the next scene is Tom Hanks talking to a guy in a casino about business or something, and it's yeah, like, who cares? We we need we need the calendar rights. I don't give a shit about the calendar rights. <laughs> Show me more Elvis performances. Can I just highlight a few a few tiny scenes in this movie that made me really laugh? Of um, course you can. First one when he does the Christmas special and there's the dog. And yeah. it does like a zoom in on the dog's face and the dog looks really sad. And then it turns around and zooms in on sweaty, shocked Elvis face. And it's meant that to be this fantastic. really dramatic scene. Absolutely fantastic. Fully enjoyed that. <laughs> um, there's a scene where Elvis is like falling through space. And oh, it God, really yeah. reminded me of, if you remember in the Super Mario Brothers movie, when Mario first goes through the dimensional portal and there's that scene where he's flipping over and falling <laughs> through the 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 wormhole and it really looked similar and i was like yes more super mario brothers movie references you wanted some goombas to pop up i wanted some goombas yeah (laughs) why couldn't i mean baz lerman has worked with john leguizamo before there's the link yeah exactly bring him bring him in um and also one thing that live action remake of encanto incoming (laughs) (laughs) yes and one thing that was later on in the movie which shouldn't have made me laugh but did was when the excitable fan from Peru got up on stage and Elvis kicked him yeah. and gave him like a proper walloping kick. And that made me laugh a lot, which again, it, and, and that kind of shows that, that that scene wasn't meant to be funny. That was meant to be like a dramatic downfall scene. Yeah. But instead, it was just funny because of the way that it had all been built up and all of the drama and, and ridiculousness of this movie up to that point. 
That's um, the thing. Anything that was supposed to be dramatically important was just funny because yeah. it's so overblown. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, one thing we've not talked about, um, the performance of Austin Butler is good, I'd say. I think he did a great job. I think he does a really good job. Um, I was very hesitant to get into it because he... There's something I dislike about him that I can't control, which is he plays Tex Watson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, the member of uh, Charles Manson's gang. Oh, right. <laughs> and is obviously evil and a creep. And in, in the back of my head, I was thinking, oh, no, he's, he's going to be a fucking cult killer. But once I'd got over that, he's really good. And and it's, it's interesting because he doesn't look facially a lot like Elvis. No, but, he, but they he, did enough to him to make him look close enough that you, you suspend your disbelief, don't you? I mean, yeah, there yeah. are any number of Elvis impersonators out there, but he, he can sing like him, he can move like him, he's got the crotch and the bum. I think he, he got it on the strength of those really more than his face, didn't he? Yeah, and, and exactly, like, you know, and this goes to show when you're casting somebody in a biopic, it doesn't necessarily just have to be about this guy looks just like this person. In fact, it's about things like their ability to replicate the movements, their ability to, um, you know, replicate the emotional power of that person, which I think he did really, really well here. I was really impressed by him as Elvis. I thought it was great. Exactly. It's like um, Joaquin Phoenix in Walk the Line, isn't it? He doesn't really look a lot like Johnny Cash, but you believe it's him from the word go because he just completely embodied the character. Yeah, exactly. Or or going back to Rocketman, Taron Egerton doesn't look a lot like Elton John. But yeah. you 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 buy into it because he manages to embody that kind of performance really well. Um, one thing I don't know is did he do all the singing himself or was any of it overdubbed? Oh, I actually don't know. That's a good point. I mean, um, I don't really mind because either way, it worked. Yeah, I mean, it do- it did work incredibly well, and I think the 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 silliness of the movie overall and how outlandish it felt, it didn't really matter either way. I was just interested to know if he if he did his own singing or not. If they ever do a biopic of The Who, they they can just get someone's nan to play Roger Daltrey. <laughs> be the most boring biopic of them all. Yeah, they were a bunch of dickheads, and the remaining live, the living members still are, so it would just be... <laughs> <laughs> Is it The Who that has Ringo Starr's son playing drums for them? Probably, I don't know. Um... I'm just going to do a quick Google search then. It would make sense, as Keith Moon is dead. <laughs> no, they just, get his, um, they just get his corpse on stage. Yeah, it's like Weekend at Bernie's. Um, but yes, it is actually him singing. Oh, wow. Which is great. Which is well, really hats good. off to him then. Yeah, it's, it's truly fantastic. Um, because that's something that didn't happen in Bohemian Rhapsody, where it wasn't um, Rami Malek doing the singing. There, they, oh, they really? Yeah. Yeah, they've got someone else. Or they did like a hybrid, I think. But I think when they say that they did a hybrid, what that means is that they got someone else in who could replicate the way that Freddie Mercury sang and dubbed it over. <laughs> and maybe right, had a little okay. bit of him doing it here and there. Um, whereas, obviously, Taron Egerton did all of the singing himself. Um, yeah. And, of course, when we're talking about musical um, movies, Russell Crowe, of course, did all of his singing. In, in Lamers. <laughs> He certainly did, and it's very apparent. <laughs> and it's very apparent. You, you mean he did all of his own bellowing? In... <laughs> Lame is. <laughs> no, it is an iconic <laughs> performance. <laughs> 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 
2401. It's great. Um, go and listen to our episode on Lame It's that's a good so episode. Good. I think that's actually a good intro episode to this show. I've, I've, I've sent that to a few people who have been like, where should I start with the show? I've given them that one. That and <laughs> the Jupiter Ascending episode as well. Oh, yeah. No, that's a, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, yeah, so... Um, so one thing that they did do apparently was that as he got older, as Elvis got older, they blended the vocal performances between Elvis's original recordings and Butler's. Right. To help sort of, and I, I guess that could also help feed it into those final scenes where you see actual footage of Elvis. Yeah, of his last his last concert in Las Vegas, which yeah. is supposed to be poignant, but it just made me laugh because he looks a bit like Vic Reeves. <laughs> That's so true. That's really true. Oh my and God, also that's... because you've, you've just spent two and a half hours with all this bombastic glittery pomp and then suddenly it wants to be all solemn and funereal. And that's I'm not the thing, that. isn't it? It's, yeah. it's a real shift and it is just kind of funny how desperately it wants to shift the tone. And also how it, it does just kind of announce, and now Elvis is dead. Yeah. <laughs> There's no real, there's no real build up to it. It's yeah, just I thought there was going to be some just... scene of him lying on the floor, and, yeah, or whatever. But they didn't even didn't do anything, did it? No, instead it just tells you that, that Elvis is dead. So like, oh, okay. he's dead now. <laughs> now, w- one thing I did spent more time about. on Colonel Tom Parker's death. They did, yeah, yeah, they did. Um, one one thing that I did want to bring up is that obviously with these kind of stories, I think it's really important to understand what the family members thought of the film um and apparently everyone from from elvis's estate all of his all of his surviving family they're all really happy with it and they're really yeah i I was going to bring that up as well i think that's really important and that's a fantastic thing for baz lerman to have achieved so from that point of view it's really really good and i'm really glad that it's had that kind of reception um it seems they all really really like not only liked it but found it a very emotional experience to see that story being told and to have the the angle of that on colonel tom parker but also to present his life in such a bombastic way that is true to who he was um in spirit if not in terms of storytelling then that's great you know i really Mm. i fully support that yeah no i was really pleased to see that because all too often people make these kind of movies and they don't involve the family or they don't get those permissions, or they don't get that support. And it's really nice to see that it seems as though here they went about it the right way, which is really good. And I think, you know, more, you know, a, a recent example is that horrible Jeffrey Dahmer TV show that Netflix did, where yeah. they didn't involve Disgusting. the families of his victims at all, which is absolutely atrocious. Absolutely um, shocking. Um, or there's the um, the David Bowie movie where they oh, yeah. to use David Bowie songs or something <laughs> like that, because they just didn't um they, they they the 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 estate refused to 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 involve them they didn't want it to get made um so here it's it's really nice to see that um that they did that and not only that but the end result was something that people found emotionally powerful where they found that connection to a lost loved one through the film and i think that's the kind of thing that you know what we've joked about this movie a lot today um, but that kind of thing, I think, shows the worth of this movie is that Absolutely. it really does capture the essence of Elvis as a personality, as this cultural being that really shaped the way that music worked. And that's the kind of thing where, you know, this is this is a it is a bad movie, but at the yeah. same time, it's kind of a great movie, <laughs> you know, 
it really it, it, it's really that kind of that kind of shift between the two um so yeah it's it's a it's a complicated film it is yeah and it's it's awesome isn't it it's it's Mm. an awe-inspiring film and all of that contextual stuff you just mentioned is really really important and really good and really really elevates it from being sort of another silly overhyped overdone film to something that's actually culturally really significant yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um you know this it, it loses its way in the second half quite badly, but god damn, is it not a ride? You know, <laughs> it's yeah. a gen- it's, like you said, it's it's awesome. This is an awe-inspiring film. Um, it's a and, Cadillac ride. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Cadillac ride. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's um, it's it's something special. It is, even if it doesn't really work, it is something special. I think it's worth watching for sure. It's it's definitely oh, worth yeah, your absolutely. time, even though it is absolutely. quite long, and it's very very silly, and it doesn't work in terms of providing much of a coherent narrative. It's it's really entertaining and really fun and enjoyable, and silly and just kind of massive and in your face. So it's it's a a truly cinematic experience, and there's a lot to be said for that as well, isn't there? Oh yeah, yeah. It's um it's a proper movie with proper movie stuff going on yeah it's this a isn't, big this, movie yeah this isn't a sort of dull as dishwash dishwater boring film this is a proper cinematic experience no it's not jean-luc goddard <laughs> no, exactly it's the opposite of that and it's all the better for it um who's the um Who's the uh, who's the modern French director who does all of the silly sci-fi movies? Luc Besson. Yeah, yeah. this isn't a Jean-Luc Godard. This is a Luc <laughs> Jean-Luc Besson. Besson. Yeah, Jean-Luc Besson. <laughs> exactly. Now, you remember? Yeah, this you is, know this which is... of our, our friends from university mixed up the two in in a lecture and, sh- and asserted quite quite clearly that Jean-Luc Godard directed The Fifth Element. Wait, what? <laughs> I'll tell you who that was this, offline. You tell tell me afterwards. I really I don't remember that. Yeah. That's, um... Well, I wasn't there for it, but I heard it on the great through the grapevine. Ah, very. <laughs> very <good. laughs> um. Anyway, is there anything else you want to say about about this movie? No, I think I've covered it. It was it was exhausting in many ways, but mm. they felt kind of both deflated and relieved that it was over <laughs> when it was over. But I still thought that that was a great cinematic experience. So I'm glad that it exists. And this is kind of Baz Luhrmann Unchained. And now we know what that looks like. So that's important. <laughs> Baz Luhrmann Unchained. Love it. That's what they should have called it. That's, that is what they should have called it. Yeah. Um, so I've got a little bit of trivia. I'm not going to share too much because there's cool. a lot of trivia around this movie. Um, one of them is that there is uh, 90 Elvis costumes throughout the movie, which is wow. great. And, and the costuming is brilliant as well. It's worth pointing yeah, out. Yeah, fantastic. Really, really well done. Um, and, it's and by Catherine Martin, thing. who is Baz Luhrmann's wife. Ah, okay. And they've okay. been married for a long time and have worked together on all of um, all of his films, I think. And she always does a fantastic job. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Um, something to point out is that Austin Butter... Uh, Austin Butter? <laughs> Austin Butter. 
That's his real name. He had to change it to get into Hollywood. Austin um, Butler, Austin Butler spy who and Elvis. Me. Austin Butler and Elvis Presley are actually sixteenth cousins twice removed. Huh, so Elvis's pa- uh, father and Austin's mother share a common ancestry. Interesting. Which is cool. And finally, the person who directed the Elvis Christmas special also directed the Star Wars Christmas special. Yes, that's right. <laughs> How good is that? The Star Wars Holiday Special. And is played and, in this by Billy from Stranger Things. And is played by Billy in Stranger Things. Who is, yeah. He gives really good performance in this, I think, actually, and just really it's good, looks the part. Yeah, it's nice, so I want the next nice thing in his career to be like him playing that guy making the Star Wars Holiday Special and to be like a yeah, well, background a biopic documentary biopic of that. <laughs> <laughs> I've still not watched the Star Wars Holiday Special. I think this year it's going to oh, be man. time. It is. It is not good. Can we talk about that? Is that this, the romance in it? Not really. Um, well, let, let's let's shoehorn it in somewhere. Again. Um, yeah, at some point, at some point, maybe we could do like a special episode or something like that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so so how are we going to um, rank this then? Ooh, let's see. How many lewd gyrations are you going to do before the cops jump on stage and try to arrest you? <laughs> um, maybe I'm overplaying it here, but I'm going to go for 14. When this movie works, it works so well. So I'm willing to give it that over the bits where it really falls flat on its face. Yeah. So yeah, 14 lead durations for me. I agree. I, I think that's totally fair. That's a good score for a shit piece, isn't it? You can't score it too highly because then it would seem like it's really a masterpiece and it is also kind of terrible overall, but it's also fantastic in many ways. So you have to give it a score that reflects that, I guess. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm, I think, yeah, we can be a little bit lenient with it because when it does work, it works so well. And it really does try to do something, which I'm so... I'm pleased to see movies that try to do something. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice to have someone going bold with something, even if it doesn't work. Absolutely. Ambition is always good. In film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, it's my choice next. Yeah. Have you, have you um, made up your mind? Have you been thinking about it? I have, but I can't remember if we've done this already. Have we talked about Amelie? No, actually, we haven't, and I know it's one that you like. Yeah, okay, we're going to do Amelie then. All there right. was two two French movies I was going to choose between, and if you hadn't done Amelie, I'd have chosen the other one. It was going to no, be a, um, Jean-Luc Godard's film socialism, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, <laughs> all right, then. Very, very good. Well, yeah, We hope. thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed hearing us talk about... Um, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. If you haven't seen it, do go and see it because it really is a fantastic experience. It's it's on the Amazon Prime now, so you got no excuse. It's it, it's good. It's well worth yeah. your time. Yeah, go watch it. It's 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 well worth it. And there's a link in our show notes where you can give us money. It's like a virtual tip jar. You can find us on Twitter for who knows how much longer at Big Boys Don't Pod. You can email <laughs> us um, Big Boys Don't Cry Podcast at gmail dot com. And um, we'll be back next week to talk about Amelie. We got through that whole episode without talking about Elon Musk, so I think that's good. (laughs) We'll we'll save all of that for next week. (laughs) Yeah, we can talk about all that instead of French films. (laughs) (laughs) I look forward to that. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.